morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. I'm Pastor Aaron. I'm glad that you guys are here with me today, uh, even on this snowy Sunday. We're glad to have you as we're continuing our series, I Love My Church. And uh, so far, we've gone through, we started at Easter, talked about the reason we love church. Part of it is because uh, Jesus loves church. That's a good reason. He loves us. And then last week, we talked about how we can to love church too because church is a living place place we find life and today we continue that we're going to talk about something really important that's purpose on how we find meaning and purpose and how the church the place that can help us with that uh before we do of course our memory verse for the series which at first i know sounded like a strange memory verse but hopefully now it's starting to make a little more sense as to why this is so important for us first corinthians three seventeen, and so uh you hopefully you're a little familiar with it but even if not no problem just say it along with me here we go three Two, one. God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. First Corinthians three seventeen. Again, God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. First Corinthians three seventeen. Last time, let's test ourselves. God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. First Corinthians three seventeen. Wonderful. You sound so good. It's like you've been practicing. But just in case you're the one here that hasn't, don't worry, we got you covered. On your connection card, there is a memory verse card just perforated on top of that. You can take that off, take it with you, uh, and uh, look over it each day. And there's an opportunity to think about God's word uh, and see how it applies into your life throughout the week. So I encourage you to do that. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn them to Ephesians 2. We just uh, talked about how God's temple is sacred, right? And this is where God connects with people, right? God allowed there to built his temple, not that God wasn't everywhere with everyone, but he created a space, a holy space, for people to connect back with him. And now the church is that temple. We are that. We are the place where the world can connect back with God because he wants to hear from us, right? He wants to have that relationship restored. What a wonderful thing that is. Well, uh, the church still exists, even in the midst of pandemic and crazy things like that. In fact, I would say over this last year, maybe most of us were more aware of the brokenness of this world than perhaps in more ever in the history of the world. And a lot of times, I think what has happened in this last year is the things that maybe we put our trust in, that uh, maybe we're building our houses on sand, maybe not trustworthy things, were gotten to be shaken a little bit. And it's not comfortable, it's not good, but aren't you glad that God has given us a foundation, a place, a church to be able to build our life on? And to find those things is, it's a great thing. But a lot of people don't have that. Which is why over this past year, I have had more counseling by far in the last 18 months than I've had probably in the previous 17 years combined. It's been amazing. And it's not just been Christians, it's been a lot of people from the community and friends and people that I've had acquaintances. You know, uh, Facebook and, and social media, as much as I try to avoid them because of me, uh, it's been a great way for people to connect with and I know that with me, and I know that a lot of you have had that same experience, that a lot of people in this world have had their worlds shaken and rocked. And one of the questions that I get oftentimes when life goes bad, and you may have asked this because I know I asked this when my life went bad, is this question, why? Why? Is what is the purpose is really what I'm asking for this. If I'm forced to endure something, what is there meaning in it? Is there, is there something redemptive? Is there a plan into this? Have you ever been there? And you know, one of the most toxic things that a person can go through is when they don't have purpose. 
If someone doesn't believe that there is actually meaning, that, there's, that there is a God or somebody that's up there directing their life to give it some type of purpose or meaning, then the pain we endure is, is irredeemable. That, that the, the difficulties of this life can cause them to feel like, why am I even here? And, and really, it's not just the difficulties, although oftentimes it's what forces us to ask the question why. But even when life is good, if you don't have purpose, if there is no meaning, it saps the soul, doesn't it? Which is why when we look throughout history, those who have gone to a ideologies that are atheistic or anti-God, who come to a point of, of philosophical nihilism, basically this understanding that there is no purpose, that we're just random uh, chemical reactions that are happening in the universe, just stardust that just happen to exist and there's no purpose in life, that, that folks who are those who have created those ideologies and who have propagated those ideologies have a very high suicide rate and an even higher rate of Great Depression. See, God designed us for purpose. And without that, we die from the inside. It's a pandemic of the soul. Which is one of the reasons why I love church. Because it's one of the places that God has given us some really great news about our lives. And hopefully that, that introduction gave you some time to get into Ephesians. I also I have some on the screen. But if you do have your Bible, you can take notes in it, which is kind of fun. All right. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. We read, for as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live while you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, this, this world is what he's talking about. This is the way that most of us lived our lives before we found Christ. And it's the way that the majority of humans on this earth right now exist. Dead in your transgressions and sins, right? Following the ways of the rulers of the world, right? Of Satan, basically. What he's talking about here is dead living. People who are alive, their, their bodies, their lives are still able to do things, but they don't have purpose in the midst of it, and the things that they spend their lives doing ultimately result in nothing. Meaninglessness. Well, where does dead living come from? Well, this passage begins there, and I think it's something that a lot of folks that we know, and maybe some of us, and I know that even this past year, I got to look at where are the areas that I was building my life on dead things? Would I have dead living? Well, there are some places that it begins. It, it, it comes from following the ways of the world. Right? When we lived our lives according to the values, the way that the world says, this is what's most important right now. When we put our trust in those things, didn't that get shaken over this past 18 months? It really did, didn't it? And that's just the beginning. Right? And things don't have to go bad for us to realize that maybe following the ways of the world doesn't work so well. The, the world's been in chaos. But we don't have to be. So it's there, but it's also following the ways of the devil. Right? The, the sinful nature, the way that the, the, the people that are in opposition, the forces, even the demonic forces that are in opposition to God, basically in rebellion to God. That leads to dead living. And that doesn't mean that you go out and do all kinds of horrible things. It just means that you tell God, I'm declaring independence from you, and I'm going to do what I want, not what you want. And that leads to dead living. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible 
in which the, the wisest man who has ever lived, other than Jesus, King Solomon, gave supernatural wisdom, writes this book called Ecclesiastes. And he talks about dead living a lot in there. He says dead living is basically living that life that doesn't have meaning. And there's this phrase in there that even starts the whole book with is meaningless, meaningless. Everything under the sun is meaningless, which is kind of a bummer when you first start a book. But there's a phrase there that's so important, under the sun. Uh, living life for this world, living life according to what the way that the world has, right? Living our ways according to the traditions of this world, the ways of the devil. Yeah, leads to a purposeless life. And for those who are intellectually honest, they come to a point that they recognize that everything they do, all their joys and all of their hearts and all of that doesn't matter. There's no purpose. And so they're like a car that's lost its gasoline, able to do stuff, but just why? Nowhere to go. I'm glad that the chapter doesn't end here. It says, for as you, you were. And I love that past tense. Because this is not where we need to stay we find there in the next verse it says all of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of flesh and following the desires of thoughts and thoughts just like the rest we were by nature deserving of god's wrath right this is the way that we used to live this is the way that so many people that we know live in fact i think that even the past year that we've had incredible media turning us against one another, making us hate each other because people don't agree with us on things, when the Word of God shows us that really that we weren't brought to this earth to hate other people. In fact, even Jesus said, you know, I, I came to save the world, not to condemn the world, because God loves it. We have to recognize at a level of humility that when we build our lives on dead living, then people live dead lives. And there's consequences to that. That real people that we know, and even ourselves, at one point have had to face. And the consequences we see right in this passage, the first one here, is that we become slaves to our desires. Right? Gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its, its thoughts and desires. No one really wants to be a slave. That's one of the reasons why we declare independence from God, isn't it? We have this free will, and so we think in our free will we're somehow free. But here's the crazy thing is that none of us really are. If you're following after God, you're following after your own desires, your own cravings. And they typically lead to our own destruction. I have a little puppy, which right now I have to keep alive. Because the dog, if it just goes after its own desires, will eat nails and glass and rocks. I don't, I don't understand how a being would want to eat such horrible things all the time, right? More than once, I found him chewing on a cord, which I, you know, we try to unplug everything around the level. The little dude, he follows his own desires to his own demise. And we are no better. I imagine God the Father's up there like, can you believe these crazy humans? Because given to our own desires, we just go after things and there is no satiating the need inside of us, right? The tyrant that sits inside of us causes us to just destroy ourselves. And so we do. How many people have destroyed their lives because they've just gone after the things that they've loved? They thought they wanted so badly. They, just a little more money. 
just a little more fame? How many people we know have destroyed their lives and their careers and their families over trying to get a little more popular, right? That's the social media influencers, we see that. Just a little more fun, how many people have destroyed their lives going after drugs and alcohol and, and gambling, do all these things that somehow then it draws them into this, this place where they are a slave. How many people have eaten themselves to death? How many people have, have been so narcissistic that they have driven everybody else around them completely away? And in their desire to have everything about them, no one wants anything to do with them. You see, when we follow our own desires, we kill ourselves. It's dead living. It doesn't even lead us to what we hoped it would. And that's a consequence. And how tragic. How awful that there's this promise that somehow the people believe that, that if they would do certain things, that this world would somehow fulfill them. And then they do all those things and find not only are they not fulfilled, but now they have been destroyed by the very things they sought after. That's a huge consequence, and it's a reality for so many, isn't it? It's one of the things that we find. And I think that, that this is one of the areas that a lot of anxiety comes from. That when we don't have purpose, then, then we become anxious because we're like, what are we supposed to do? But also, we become anxious oftentimes if, if we feel like I can't get my needs met. We're, we're like people grasping for air as we're you know, underwater. And there's a lot of anxiety in that. And people think, well, if I just get a little bit more, if I just do a little more of this thing, then I'm going to find this purpose. I don't have meaning in my life. And they can't find it and becoming more and more anxious. Is it any wonder right now that and this was interesting when I was doing the coaching, I got coaching football right now, four and one. Thank you very much. Our, I don't take any. The boys are doing that. I'm just standing there going, go, guys. But here's the deal. Like. When I had to go on that, I had to take this, this online class to learn about, you know, coaching and all these things. You have to do it every year. You get your license to be able to do that. And on there, it said that three out of five teens are struggling right now with anxiety disorders. That blew my mind. Three out of five. Where is it coming from? Well, I think part of it is this. These young people are, are seeing the fruit of their parents and the culture's lies. Lies. And they're recognizing that what you're telling me to live for has nothing there. It's empty. It's hollow. That's a huge consequence to dead living. And there's another consequence, of course, that's not, we don't like this one, but it be, we, we are objects of God's wrath. Well, it says, like the rest, we were deserving God's wrath. You know, when you declare war against God, when you decide to do things your own way, when you, that's, uh, that's treason. Because he made the earth. He is the king of the universe. This is his world. He made it. And when we declare our independence from God, we are declaring a treasonous revolt against God Almighty, which won't go well for us. And how often do people, in their rebellion from God, get angry with God because he's not blessing them? What do you think you deserve? The fact that you are not a smoldering pile of ashes in this very moment just talks about his grace and his enormous mercy. We even sang that today. Lord, you know the hearts of men and you still let us live. Do you believe that? I think all of us think about this warm, fuzzy God is up there and he's wonderful and he is love, but he's still God and we've still spit in his face. 
And when we live these lives that he's given to us in ways that dishonor him and each other, why would we think that's going to be profitable, that God will bless that? He wants your best life now? No, he does not. He wants you to stop being disobedient. That's what he wants. He wants you to stop the rebellion. He wants you to stop the war. And he's done everything he needs to do to make that possible. He even took our punishment so that we could come back to him, which I think is pretty good terms of peace. But here are the consequences then. Is that when we engage in dead living, when we live for things without purpose, right? We, we try to live our lives according to what we want. We become our own slaves, so we really don't have that freedom that we thought we were going to have. And beyond that, now we have the wrath of God, which isn't great. In Proverbs 10, 28, it says it this way, the prospects of the righteous is joy. That's what I want. But the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. How true. How true that is. I want joy for you. I want real living, filling. I, I want you to just have like joy. In your, I want you to have a joy-filled life, a joyful life. That's what God wants you to have. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. It's this way of living that we, we don't just live for dead things. It's, it's understanding that there's purpose and there's meaning in our life, that there's a direction to things, that there's a God in control and we're working with him. The prospects of the righteous are, is joy. But let's start with this, though. If we're living our life for dead things, if we're living our life for our own purposes, it comes to nothing. We talked about that a little while ago, uh, a few series back, naughty. We talk about some of these naughty, what that means. That's, pretty, that's a pretty harsh thing. Because that means not is zero, nothing. When somebody's naughty, it means that their way that they're acting is making them worthless. Echoes and ashes. And I want you to think about your life in terms of eternity. If you live for just this little blip of what, 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years, some of you stinkers might make that long, right? You live for that, and you gain the world in this, but you lose your soul? Who cares? Eternity is a long time in fact, I think that those, there will come a point that those who are in darkness forever, who have forfeited their eternal joy and purpose for just selfish living for this moment, I mean, how long can you remember yourself? How long could you possibly go back and remember all the things that, that brought you joy in this life? I mean, after a trillion, 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 trillion years, worthless, echoes and ashes, and understand the reality of this, that those who are, stand in opposition to God, that we don't have to be their enemies. We don't have to fight against them, right? That their end is horrible. That we don't have to, to go against them and hate them and do all kinds of awful things. If they're declaring war against God, God is big enough to bring about his justice. But this day, we live in a day of grace. A day in which God has said, I want you to have more than nothing. I want you to have everything. I want you to have fulfillment and joy. I want to give you eternity. We live in an amazing age, don't we? With an amazing God who saves us from this worthless way of living. And it's calling him back. Righteous, it just means righteous is 
doing what's right. It's ending the war. It's coming back to God. Saying, Lord, your way, not my way. I want to I be with you in this. And we trade nothing and we get everything. Think how amazing that is. In Ephesians 4, we go into this. It talks about the, the, the worthless, dead living of the world, which we were all part of, by the way. Let's be reminded of that. Let's not get on our, our moral high horses and look down the rest of the world thinking that we were better than them. That's, this is what God saved me from. But because of his great mercy for us, God who was rich, his love for us, God who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, for it is by grace you have been saved. And it goes on. And God raises us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Tell me, is that not the happiest passages in all of Scripture? That we had this purposeless, pointless way of living the world has tried to teach us. Get a great career, make yourself happy, have all of the fun things, go on all the great look vacations, and then die. That's the best they can offer. And we've been saved from that and for something so much better and by a God who is so good. Our world and our devil only offer dead living. I think it's important for us to recognize that. He's a good salesman. But he's selling a bad product. I'm buying it anymore. And God has given me something so much better. See, Jesus came not just that he could save us from our sins, but that we might have real life, that we could experience real living even now, not just in the hereafter, but the here and now, today. And the first thing that Jesus did to save us, to give us real living, is he saved us from God's wrath, which if if you are like me, that should make you very happy because I know how deserving of God's wrath I am. Even as a Christian, there were times that God wasn't doing things in my life that I thought he should. And I would climb this hill right here behind us. And I would go to the top of it just to get closer to him. And I would tell him just how wrong he was. And the fact that he didn't just stomp me or zap me with lightning or send a meteor down or something creative like the earth swallowing me, the fact that he hasn't done that is a, just a testimony of how good he is. Because I could be a real stinker. And I have... A, pretty good feeling i'm not the only one in this room that's that way but jesus saved me from god's wrath that i could enter into prayer i can go into to god's presence without trembling now uh, out of fear that i'm going to be annihilated that i can wake up every day and i can talk to my god and he wants to listen to me is phenomenal and why did god do this how did he do this well he did it because he loves me what it said his great love and how did he do it well he took the wrath i deserved it went somewhere the penalty had to be paid jesus paid it for me and i know so many of already christians you heard it a thousand times hear it again maybe today afresh that jesus took your penalty if there is no wrath against 
from God against you any longer. That it has been completely satisfied. And when he sees you, he sees you through eyes of love. He doesn't look at your past mistakes and say, well, I know what you did. He says, I know who you are now and what I'm making you into. And so we're saved not because we've done it, any good things. We are saved by God's grace through faith. It's just trusting him. It's ending the war, saying, God, I'm going to trust you on this one. And, and so we're saved by grace through faith. And we're not just saved for this faith. We are saved for what? The coming age. Is that verse 7? Then he said that, that in this, that he saved us so that in the coming ages, he's going to be able to continue to bless your socks off in an unimaginable ways. That's pretty good. Future's bright. You know, that's not all. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works in which God prepared us in advance for us to do. See, Jesus doesn't give us, give us life. He gives our lives meaning, right? We have to get through that first part to get to here. If you want to have meaning, you have to find it not in the world, not through the lies of the devil, and not through any kind of false religion that tells you you've got to somehow earn your way back to God. He did it. But we find that because we've been saved by grace through faith, God has prepared us for something. He made you for something. And here, the first thing he talks about, we've been created for what? Good works. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, you're going to see some of those, those good works. See, after explaining the greatness of, of God's uh, mercy towards us, by the time you get to chapter 4, Paul's talking about, through the Holy Spirit, the things that God made for us. These good works. Verse 11. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers, which I get to be one of, which is really cool, right? That, that God brought me here. Why? To equip his people for good works of service. Why do you have a pastor? To help you, to equip you, to serve you. And this is what I get to do. But see, you are the ones that get to do the good works. What a privilege. And he's designed and made you for that. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And he goes on and become mature, attain the whole measure, the fullness of Christ. And then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, it says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow and become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. In Ephesians 2, we discover that, that God designed us for purpose, right? To do good works, right? And here we see that, that God makes us a member of his body, right? This is what he wants us to do. He wants us to, to be part of his church. So God created me for good works. How? As a member of his church. He says that we're going to do these things in the context, these good works, in the context of community, right? In the context of being part of a church. This is how God designed you. And he didn't design you to work alone. It's like, it's like my, my, my cell phone. Oh, I don't have it. My cell phone is awesome. I, I can touch the screen and it takes me all over the world, right? I can do research. I was on a five-hour bus ride yesterday going to Carbondale for the football game, right? And as I was on the bus, I was able to communicate with people all over the world and, and email and text and do some research. It was fantastic, right? I even got to see a cat video on a bus. But you know what? If I dropped my cell phone, something tragic would happen. All of those beautifully integrated, like, those amazing little parts that somebody designed and crafted, they're just, they're masterpieces, every one of them. 
if I dropped it and then it would fall apart and all of those amazing components would be separated, my phone would be worthless. All the same parts, disconnected, doesn't do anything. And that's how God designed us. You think a cell phone's amazing? God made the church. Apple can make phones. God can make a living church, which is what he's done. And you are a part of it. You are a vital component to the church. It says when we come together that we do amazing things, which is one of the reasons I love church, because there's a place for me. I perfectly fit, and so do you. But the only way we get to really experience our design, what God made us for, is in the context of coming together so that we can see what it's like. What did God really make me for? It's here. Ephesians 4, in that next verse, says, From him, that's Christ, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting limit and grows itself up in love as each part does its own work. That God didn't just make you to belong here to snap in like you're some kind of puzzle piece. You're an active component. He's gifted you. God crafted you through however he made you, right? Through your history, all the things that he's brought you through. He's crafted you perfectly to fit today. To do something. And the things that he's called you to do are good. Isn't that awesome? That God didn't make anybody out here to do mediocre works. I didn't read that in the word. Good works. Which means that we find here that my purpose is very good. See, my God made me, and he made you, and he made us to come together here to do amazing things, to make a difference, to do something that's going to outlast us. Which is why every Sunday I say here, making generational, transformational disciples. Do you know that we are transforming eternity, even here? That people are coming to Christ and having their eternities completely profoundly altered, living, trading nothing and gaining everything, and it happens. But more than that, we see even in our own lives God at work inside of us, transforming us, changing us, taking out the awful things that we used to have and replacing them with amazing good things. And the, I think what's awesome about that passage we just read is I don't see any there. There is a, a time frame like, well, you come to Christ and then you marinate in the Holy Spirit for a little while. And then once you've been, you know, prepared enough and mature enough, then God will have good works for you. That's not what it says. It says when you come to Christ and you connect with the body, there's good works for you. And by the way, you have a pastor there to help shepherd you and equip you for those. But as you do those good works, you will become mature. In fact, we'll all become mature. And the whole body is going to grow and be filled with love. It's going to be great. So wherever you are today, there's a place for you. Isn't that a reason to love the church? Uh, the place for you has something meaningful for you to do? And not a great reason to love this church that God has built and that your purpose that God has given you in the church is not some meaningless small task. It's not something that, that doesn't affect anything else, but it's something that actually empowers and equips the rest of the body as we begin to do living lives that have eternal impact. And if that wasn't enough, then God has saved you for the coming ages in which he's going to bless your socks off forever, which is pretty great too. And what we do today is just a foretaste of the great stuff that we get to do there. Isn't that awesome? you got purpose. I know a lot of us ask the question, why? Why are things happening to me? And we're going to have a series in about a month, and we're going to talk about some of that, that. But I want you to hear this. Sometimes that's not the right question. The question is who? Who are you living for? Because that will determine your purpose. If you're living for you, you're not going to last very long. 
If you're living for the, the accolades of, of other people, they're not going to last forever. But if you're living for God, he will come alive in you and through you. And you will find your life being filled with purpose. And the purpose that God has for you is not to destroy things. It's not to live this, this horrible catastrophe. It's to bring great things in, through him, through the Holy Spirit, into this world. Isn't that awesome? So, I love my church because my church has purpose. This is where we begin to live for eternal things together, working together, doing this awesome thing, seeing God come alive in us. And, well, we all need a little bit of purpose, don't we? So how do you apply that in your life? Well, on your connection card, I've got a few things that you can do. First thing you might want to do this week is memorize 1 Corinthians 3.17. You know that one of the things that purpose that God has for you is that we are his temple? And God's temple is sacred, and he, he takes it seriously, right? We are the place that God has set up so the world will know that God has not abandoned them. This is, this is how God comes back, like people can come back to God and receive this eternal life. You're a sacred people. It's awesome to know you. It's great to be part of you. Take some time, memorize that passage, think about it. Also, maybe you want to read Ephesians. Went through two different chapters. You want to read the whole book. This is in context. It is like a very encouraging book that gives us a lot of direction. If, you want, if you're looking for purpose, Ephesians. Maybe what you want to do is, you'll see in the back where we have our Say Yes Ministries. They're going to be starting up fairly soon, hopefully, as we have more freedom to be able to relaunch ministries. But if you're here and you're part of the church, and you're like, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm here to help equip you. And I need to know that. If you're not serving, if you're not using your gifts and abilities, then let me help you start doing that because you're going to find real living that's going to fill you up. And, and it's going to help mature you and it's going to help your world become filled with much more joy and purpose. It's great and love. Something else you might want to do, if you are not part of a church family, I encourage you, I welcome you to, to join us on our next membership class. It's going to be on May 2nd and it's going to be starting at 2 o'clock and we're going to talk about in that time, what is our church? How is it structured? How do you find your place? How do you connect? But I'll tell you what, God designed you, if you're a believer, he designed you for church. And if you're not a believer yet, uh, this is something that you need to do. And so maybe it's your first time you ever thought about this. We talked about today, and you're looking at your life, and you're like, well, this has been meaningless living. And you want real life? You can be saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. All right? And if you need to take those steps of faith, this is one of the things that I would love to help you with. And so we want to believe and confess and repent and be baptized and be discipled and make sure that you have a healthy church family. We don't want to just to abandon you and just, right? We want to help you take those steps. So it's a conversation. So if you need to take that step, I encourage you. After the service, come talk with me. If you're online, send me an email, Aaron at funchurch.com, and we will meet with you and we will help you take those steps of faith. All right. Hopefully that's given you all enough time to make a commitment at the end of this message. We're going to have a time of just a, a song of commitment. And then at the end of that, on the back of the auditorium there, there's a box you could drop your connection cards, your offerings in there. I appreciate for you to do that. Please write down your prayer requests as well. I do pray for you. Our staff prays for you. Our elders pray for you. We'd love to know how to. So uh, write those down. All right. Let's, let me pray a blessing over you, and then we'll have our song of commitment. Let's do Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given us meaning and purpose in our lives, that we didn't just abandon us to be stardust in this chaotic world, but actually bring order to our chaos. The very first thing that you did, and you continue to do that as you create our lives. Lord, I pray for those that are here today and everyone who is hearing the message uh, from your word, that it would speak into their hearts today, that they would see that there is a better way of living. And for those that are already engaged in that way of living, may they be encouraged, Father, as, as they continue to serve you, not to give up, but, Father, to follow you all the more. 
And for those, Lord, that need to step out of dead living and to follow you, I pray you give them the courage to do that today and the encouragement to keep going in it. May this church family be a place that they can love as you love them. And we give you these commitments. We give you this, our offerings, the signs of our worship to you, centering our lives on you because you are worthy. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.